Good morning, friends, here in the building and wherever you find yourself. Uh, my name is Jose. It's a, a thrill to have you here to worship Jesus uh, together. It's the Lord's Day. It's good to be in his house. And uh, for those of you who are newer to our church story, uh, we're in the middle of a renovation of our main space, which I was at this morning just to pick up some things. And it, it is great to see progress. And uh, how many of you know that God is so good to give us this space as a temporary space? Talk about an upgrade. I know. it's We should be grateful to God. Some of you are like, eh, meh, uh. Uh, the, the problem's you, man, because this is amazing. And so we're grateful to God. We're grateful to God that the street is open in front of us. You could actually get out of here. And so just a couple of things you need to know. We're going to open up our Bibles to 1 Peter 2, and we're going to continue where we left off last week. Uh, but real important news, you saw it on the banner ad probably while walking in if you looked up. Uh, the Venetian is reopening this March. It's the restaurant. That's kind of the cornerstone here. And I would, I would not so subtly, I would heavily encourage you to frequent local businesses in a time of a pandemic. All of them. But especially the Venetian because it was not their fault that they had to close the restaurant because of the fire next door. And I think the greatest thing that we could do, it's an act of love, is to say, I'm going to eat somewhere. I'm going to choose to eat at a place uh, where the owner of the space is lovingly saying, as a church, meet here for free because I love you. And they're a part of our church community. So I'm inviting you to spend big dollars at the Venetian, okay? Just get an appetizer and an entree and double dessert, all right? Or if, if you're not into the eating out thing, take some of your savings and buy a gift card for a friend and bless someone and just say, like, look, I, I want to see this place thrive because the leaders here love and follow Jesus, and it's good for downtown Hillsboro. We know this. So enough about that. I'll talk for 10 minutes about that later. Um, second thing, I don't know if you've heard about the change in mask mandates. Uh, so, yes, this is very good news. So just to state the obvious, we've, we've decided for the last two years to stay in rhythm what our state is asking us to do. So masks will not be required anymore as of next week. Yes, thank you very much. And all the grunts and all the stuff, whatever. Uh, so I was just in Alabama. Uh, I flew back yesterday. And what we're going to find, just to, to be real, is that there are people wearing masks or not wearing masks no matter what the mandate is. So we're going to love God with everything and love our neighbor as ourselves. So what we're not going to do is ask someone if they're wearing a mask, hey, dude, what's the problem? Or why are you still doing that? We're rather going to love one another by respecting we're in different spaces for different reasons. And that's a beautiful thing. That's being human, but more than that, it's actually following the pattern of First Peter. Okay, so, so that's what we're going to do, but you won't see uh, as a requirement our staff team and others. If that's a concern, just I want you to be aware for next Sunday, okay? Well, let's, uh, now that I've disrupted everybody, let's pray. <laughs> that was the news. I just reported the news. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't disrupt anyone. I just said what you already knew. All right. Lord, we love you. We're grateful to God that you would come to rescue us. Lord, we're here to worship you and give you the highest praise, not just with songs, but with our lives. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit of God, to lead us and guide us as we think about what it means to live the unmistakable life, the life that's centered on you, Jesus, the life that's full, filled with you, Holy Spirit, the life that's honoring to you, Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to honor you in the real world and let the world know that we belong to you 
by how we live. So we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to now give us the truth so that we can lay hold of it and live it out as you enable us. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees with that says, amen. How are followers of Jesus called to live in a world that doesn't follow? That's really what this whole series is about. It's what the letter of 1 Peter is about. And if you've been tracking with us, you'll know that there are lots of pictures that graphically display who we are as Jesus' people so that we can live into it in the real world. And uh, to recap, what we've seen in chapter 2 is that we are living stones. Jesus is the cornerstone, but we're living stones. God is building us up together. Church matters because it's the assembly of all of God's living stones that are being built up to be the place where his presence dwells. God's presence on the world matters. Would you agree? And it's found not just in buildings. It's found in us as we live out our faith together. So we want to fully live for him because we're living stones. We're also a royal priesthood. That is, we're called to invite people into the presence of God, to represent God on this earth. And so we represent the king, Jesus, even though we live in various kingdoms. If you're an American citizen, you have the vision and values of America. Wherever your passport or your license says, yeah, you represent those, but higher than that, we're called to represent Jesus, which means we're a holy nation. We are the people of God. No matter your color, no matter your culture, no matter your background, if you have repented, turned to Jesus Christ and said, rescue me, you are now part of this holy nation that's made up of all tongues and tribes and languages. And heaven will be beautiful because it won't just look like you. God's presence together for eternity will be beautiful because it will be a mosaic of all of what God looks like in his men and women who are different yet united in Jesus Christ. Now, all these pictures point towards real things. We're called to live out our faith. How we live matters. So we saw last week this other picture. We are, we're foreigners and exiles. Let's just read 1 Peter 2, recap, verses 16 and 17 from last week. We're called to live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So we're to show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. This is what it means to live as foreigners and as exiles. We live in a culture and in a world that might not hold the vision and values of Jesus, but we are his people. And so exiles live good lives to please God by honoring authority. And so last week we saw how Peter teased this out because he's writing to real Jesus people in real places who are under the Roman authority. And so we started last week with recognizing that God has given the right for people in authority over us, over us to lead us and guide us. And we're called to respect them. If you missed that, I encourage you to just watch the YouTube or listen to the podcast because today is going to build on it. I told you it's going to take three weeks to unpack this. How do we live good lives by following God and honoring those in authority. How do we actually do it? Last week we saw how we do it with government that's above us. Today we're going to look at slave and relationships to people who are above us. And next week we're going to look at the home and the husband and wife and the family relationship. But what was said last week is the foundation. So if you missed it, I encourage you, go back. 
Uh, let's just uh, read it. As we do it, I've invited Taylor Turkington, who's, who's not an elder, but she's part of our church family and an amazing Bible student and Bible uh, teacher. I asked her to help us continue this conversation. So there are two big ideas today, and I'm going to cover the first one, and then she's going to cover the second one, and we'll continue to respond and sing and in worship. And if you need prayer for anything, if the Lord stirs something in you today as a weekly reminder that our prayer team is here and will be here at the front at the end of our gathering, if God has brought you here with a burden, something's just going on in your life, uh, it's not just about hearing truths and leaving it's about loving one another. So our prayer team will be here as we respond. All right, this is 1 Peter 2, verses 18 through 20. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Yikes. I'll keep reading, but this is already a tough word. For it is... Commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they're conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. And then Taylor in a few minutes will just will, will tease out the rest of this chapter. How many of you um, have a master? How many of you have a you have a master that you're serving right now? I'm assuming like, well, I got a wife. Of course, I have a master. Like, no, I mean, now how many you how many have one? This is when we hear the word master, most of us are like thrown off and see like, well, th that can't be talking to me because it's not a word that we use in our language. The word master makes most of us cringe because we got to remember when we read the Bible, we're bringing our lenses with us. And so when we read a, a text like this, it's possible to see it through 2022 lenses, you know, living in the U.S. with all of our rights and our freedoms. But before we do that, we need to remember, let's use a different language. We all have leaders. How many have a leader who's over you? Okay, then or the rest of us go, yeah, we have leaders uh, in our home, in our work, in our school. All of us have people who are above us. We just don't see them as masters. So what are we going to do? Let's, let's look at the big idea, and then we'll break it down to see how we can apply an ancient text in a modern way. Here's the thought. Jesus' followers endure suffering for doing good. Just write that down. That's the big idea of what Peter is getting at. Jesus' followers, we endure suffering for, for doing good. Now, this may sound odd to you, especially if you're newer to the Bible or newer to the way of Jesus. But let me read verse um, 18 again. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. All right, let's just figure out what did it mean to them? Because before I could think about what it means to me, I have to always ask myself, Peter's writing to real Jesus people who are living under Roman rule just years after Jesus' resurrection. What was he saying to them? Uh, first thing we need to remember, Peter is talking to household slaves here who are servants. Now, this is different for us. Slavery at the time wasn't the same thing as slavery here in the U.S. So when I hear the word slave, I have to be thoughtful first to remember 
he's not talking about the slavery that we experienced here in North America. Our slavery and our history is about kidnapping people from other countries and continents and treating them like property, subhuman, without any hope of freedom and future. That's not exactly what Peter is addressing. Uh, A quarter of the Roman Empire were servants that were also called slaves. So it's different than ours. Second thing we need to remember, slavery in the first century Rome, it was part of the poverty system. This might be helpful. People could choose to become a servant or a slave because of their financial condition. It was a way that it was possible for you to improve your standing in life over time. If you had no resources, what do you do? You could come under a master. Um, Now, people could be taken as slaves, and people were forced into slavery, but many it was by choice. And they were not treated equally. They didn't have equal rights like everyone else. Some were under terrible conditions, under terrible people, which is why he says not just the good masters, but the harsh ones. The reality is people can be evil. But others were doctors, uh, were, were, were teachers, musicians. Many slaves were more educated than their masters. And one helpful thing to realize is for many, not all, but for many, they could gain their freedom by the time they were 30 years old. So it was one step in a direction of eventually improving their life. Um, they, they, they were beaten. Their master could beat them. And Rome didn't really check on how, uh, how people treated their slaves. But at the same time, these kind of servants, they could own property. They could have families. They could build a career. They could even hold a position of power. Okay, so how many know that's very different than our human history? So when I read a text like this, I need to remember first, he's talking about the Roman system that included in the workforce an idea and a class of people called the slave. So every well-off person in the Roman Empire had them, everyone. And some treated them well, some treated them poorly. And this is why he's going to address what was probably a huge part of the church to help them see how do we live out our faith in Jesus in a world that does not. How do we live the way of Jesus in in a household slave-master relationship where they are harsh? Now, let's ask the big picture question. Why didn't Peter call for an end to slavery? Well, for one, he's not talking about the same slavery we're talking about in our history that was totally based on race and on color. Uh, and it was a system where people were mistreated because of their property. He's not talking about the same thing. you got to remember, at the time, Peter's writing a letter to a fledgling church scattered across the Roman Empire. That was not a democracy. We're just so used to the fact that we have rights. Like, we literally are. We de facto think everyone in all times and all places has the right to to enact political change. That is not true. This is a dictatorship. So he's writing a letter on how to live out your faith under really a dictatorship where we're used to having our rights and privileges. They did not. He's writing to people who had no possible way of changing the system um, so, so we have to be careful before we say, like, well, why doesn't he just uh, say stop slavery? This church had no power to do that. But they did have power to live like 
Jesus. Now, if you read Philemon and you do a study of that letter, you will see carefully that God's heart is always for freedom and equality for all, right? So read my lips and look at the screen and write this down. Quote Jose. Does the Bible approve of slavery? No, it doesn't. We need to be clear that the Bible does not approve of slavery. Definitely not the slavery that is part of our history or the slavery then. But here's the scenario he's writing to. And I want us to catch this because now we want to think about what we're called to do as they were called to do. Some things do not change even though the circumstances change. What are, how we call to live. you got to imagine you're a household servant and someone shared the good news of Jesus with you. And you're a young lady and you're working and you don't know when you'll gain your freedom, if you'll ever gain it. But you follow a master who serves idols, these foreign gods, and now you've heard the way of Jesus, that there is one God and one Lord and his name is Jesus. What are you going to do? By the way, in their system, family order mattered. So it was important for everyone under the master's household, his wife, his kids, and his slaves, if they followed this God Everybody did. It was about household order. So what do you do that now you have no rights under this home, but they're not following the way of Jesus? But you've been transformed, and now your brother's been transformed, and the other slaves have been transformed, and you know the way of Jesus, but you're living under a household that doesn't, and you want your masters to follow the way of Jesus, and you want to live and honor God. How do you figure this out. You know what he says in the middle of this? And we need to catch this for what he says, not what we think he says. He says, submit in the fear of God to your master. Wow. Submit. Now, what does this mean? Now, submission is not blind obedience, but it's real obedience. And I want us to catch that distinction. Before we think about how we tease this out, let's just say what he's saying. He's saying submission isn't blind obedience. There's time when your master is going to tell you to do something that is directly against the word of God. In that case, we're to follow Jesus, which will come with suffering. We're going to honor God, and that may cause me to suffer. Uh, but at the same token, we have to remember he's calling us, the Bible's calling us, God is calling us to real obedience. In other words, following Jesus does not give us the right of rebellion. And this is a tough word. I'm speaking to mostly Americans or people who understand the American way. The reason we can't understand the concept of a master is because we fundamentally believe I am the master of my own future. Me. But you have to remember, they're living in a world with very real, clear authority structures. And the word to them is to submit to their authority to actually obey even those that are harsh. Wow. Now, this feels like dangerous. <laughs> this is going to cost you. And that's exactly what Peter says. It's going to hurt at times. He says, submit to the unjust Catch this, out of reverence for God. Now, he's not saying submit because you're a slave. This is really important that you catch the whole thing. He just told him a couple of verses ago that you are free in Christ. In my soul, I am free. I belong to Jesus, the King of kings. I serve the Lord of lords. I've been liberated from my sin and my past because of Jesus. So in the greatest sense, I am really free in Christ. But at the same time, I'm living in a real world with real structure, and I have a real place 
And so I don't submit because I am just a lowly slave. I am a free person in Christ. And because of that, I want to honor God in the place he has put me. Why? Because in the end, what am I? I'm a royal priest. I belong to Jesus. And if there's any way that the people in my household are going to hear about Jesus and follow Jesus, if the other slaves are going to know Jesus, or if you're a master, if, if your fellow landowners, if they're going to follow Jesus, it is by the way that we live. And so in their world, if this new faith in Jesus was filled with political rebels, it would end the Jesus movement. So he says, let's live for God because God sees you coming under unjust, harsh treatment for a season out of your worship to him. Again, I, I have to emphasize, when I say slave, don't read into what I'm saying to the American evil of slavery. Hear me clearly. He's saying to these household servants who are maybe working their way towards freedom, while God has you there, live for God wherever God has you. And this has something to do with how we work, but we'll get to that in, the, in a minute. So what does it mean for them? It means as a slave, right, with my master, if I'm out, I could probably get away with being lazy when no one is watching. But he's like, don't be lazy. You live for God wherever you're at. It may mean I have to work longer hours than I anticipated. Work those longer hours. It means you don't ignore the commands of your master, even, even when their plans aren't your plans. It means that we come under authority. Now, i got to be careful because we're not equating. Because then we say, well, man, my boss is like a master. And Are you saying? No, we shouldn't equate this kind of slavery with today's workplace. It's not the same thing. But there are principles that we can apply to wherever you are under authority. In the home, we'll look at next week. In school or at work. And I think this is one of them. You submit to your boss even when you don't like them. Because I want to worship Jesus. That, that I, I, I come under the authority of my boss even though I may think I could do it better. Be because of Jesus, I want them to see Jesus in me. Now, to be clear, in, in our world, because we live in a democracy, um, because of your freedom, it's okay if you don't like the direction of your job. Here's a tip. Find another job. This is cool. You're totally free to do that. Peter's not saying stay in a bad job. But he's saying to people who didn't have that option, they couldn't just move. I don't like my master. I'm going to jump to another one. You couldn't do it. But the principle for us is as long as you're under the authority of someone at school or at work, as long as you're there, we live respectful lives, not rebellious lives. So that when people think about what it means to follow Jesus and they look at you, they're pointing to someone with respect and reverence and excellence, not lazy, know-it-all, with all sorts of views about everything under the sun and how we're all wrong and how they're all right. Do you know a Christian like that? Are you a Christian like that? That's a tougher word. We live respectful lives because we're royal priests. Verse 19, for it's commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, 
This is commendable before God. So it honors God if someone endures unjust suffering because they're thinking of God. Peter's quick to say, he doesn't mean because you got a beating uh, for doing wrong, wow, you suffered for God. He's like, look, that's useless, right? Doing wrong and getting busted for it, that's not helping. But when you do have a backlash against you while doing good in Jesus' name, there is reward in that. This faithfulness to God, living under a hard circumstance. Your master might not be watching you worship God through your work, but God is watching. And there's a reward for God in the midst of unjust suffering. When you're mistreated at work because you show love and, and you work hard anyway, when you lose your reputation or money because you've decided to live with integrity, there is reward for you, which is, which is huge. And he says, when someone, I want you to notice a little, a little important nuance. He started with slaves, but then he uses and he actually elevates these, the people who were, were low in their society were the slaves. But he actually uses them and he elevates. It's like if you're a slave, now someone like a slave, in other words, this principle applies to anyone. When anyone comes under unjust suffering, there is reward. He's talking to someone. He's talking to us. And so those of us who follow Jesus, if we are a master, we're to live to honor God in the way we treat people. If we're a servant, we're to live to honor God in the way we treat people. We are respectable people. We're not rebels. Again, he's talking to people who have absolutely no power in their world. There's nothing wrong with us in a democratic society sharing our opinion, but we ought to be respectful. We, wouldn't, we shouldn't be seen as overtly rebellious. So Peter intentionally uses the slave, and he makes him a paradigm for all believers who show respect to people, even though they're harsh. All right, a couple of things to clarify, and then I want to look at part two. I'm going to invite Taylor to do that in just a moment. This verse here has been misused over the centuries, and so we need to address it. Um, this has been harmful. Some slave owners in the U.S. use this verse to justify slavery and to beat people, to rip them away from their family, take away their freedom, take away their dignity, and even watch them suffer death using this verse out of context, saying that the slave must submit to the master, when in reality, this slavery is evil, and, and this text does not condone it, and it definitely doesn't condone beating people. Can you see Jesus beating people? Absolutely not. And so this is a text about servants living in a society where a quarter of the population are servants in a difficult circumstances that they could live and honor Jesus where they were. In other words, you didn't have to be set free to honor God. You can honor God where you're at. It's also been used wrongly against domestic violence victims. Um, you, could, you could warp this and say a spouse should endure a beating for the good of the marriage. And that's wrong. But the Bible does say we do good and we respect authority. It doesn't say you should be beaten. And so I just want to say a word out of love to those of you who are being harmed, who have been 
harmed. It's also honoring to God because we live in a world that does have possibilities to go to the rightful authorities. If you are being hurt, to go to school authorities, to go to the police, to go to your HR department, to come to the elders of the church. If you're in a situation that is unhealthy and someone is saying, I'm sorry to follow God, you must stay under my thumb. I would hope that you would talk to someone who's safe and get the help that you need. In their setting, there was no one to advocate for them. The authorities didn't care what a master did with their slaves. But in our day, we need to say to all those who are under unjust suffering, uh, we, what we do is we honor God by telling someone who's safe about it and, and, and see you set free. All right, let's just come back to the application because I can see you're enjoying every minute of this. This is incredible. Who wants to talk about suffering? We do. We don't talk about it enough because we, I think we buy into the lie that all should be good at all times because I follow Jesus. There are actually moments where God is with us even in hard places. And so here, in the big picture, submission isn't forced. Notice, it's a choice because we are thinking about God. To the person who is in a hard circumstance, honor God where you're at, even as worship. Um, He's also at the same time saying, it is good to not be beaten. We shouldn't rejoice in the beating, but we rejoice that we can honor God where we are at. So here's the the, the magic question. How do we find the power to submit when everything within us and around us is screaming for us to flaunt our own personal rights for the more chipper side of the story? I I invite you to welcome Taylor Turkington to share with us. Welcome, Taylor. Hey, friends, we're going to keep going. We're going to look at verse 21 next. Can you read it here? Verse 21. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. To this you were called. He means to this, to suffering for good. Peter continues to be blunt and says, this is what you were called to do. Why? Because Christ suffered for you. How on earth can we do this? This is how on earth we can do this. Is because of we are called to look to Christ. Because this is the way of Christ. Peter's going to flesh this out in the next few verses because he knows that what he's calling people to is nothing less than choosing the hard road. And for us to do this in the long term of our life, we can't do it on our own. We desperately need supernatural strength, which is exactly what he says that we have. He's going to say that we can do this by the example of Christ, by the redemption of Christ, and by the care of Christ. First, he says, for Christ suffered for you, for you and for me because of our sins, for our forgiveness, for our relationship with God. But also, he left us an example. Do you see that word example in verse 21 there? That word is literally a stencil, like the one a kid would use when they're learning their alphabet letters and they would trace over it. They would use this wax that kids could then trace over to learn their letters. He's saying that we 
can live this life because we trace our lives on top of the life of Christ. Imagine what that would look like for us to trace our lives on Christ's life. Man, his life wasn't self-serving. His life wasn't self-protective. His life wasn't climbing a ladder so the world saw us as a success. And his life wasn't trying to find universal esteem from others. It was shaped by where he was going towards a cross. It was a cross-shaped life, a cruciform life, we might even say. Peter gives us a second picture. Look down at that verse again. It says, he gives us that we would follow in his footsteps, like his steps that were marked out in the sand. We talk about following in the steps of Christ, but this is the actual verse in the Bible that talks about it. Remember when we were kids and we would see those steps in the stand and we would stretch, changing our gait to be able to fit them. Our whole body would shift so that we'd be able to walk in this new pattern. So in the same way, Peter calls us to change the way that we would walk. Rather than pleasing ourselves, that we would work to please the Father. Look at verse 22. He's going to tell us what this life looks like. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus wasn't suffering because he had lied to try to fix his circumstances and then got caught. He wasn't suffering because he was doing wrong. And when he did suffer, it wasn't with bitterness or with revenge in mind. Imagine what it would have been like if we were reading through the gospel account and it said, and they insulted Jesus and they mocked him and Jesus turned and threw it right back at them with better wit, right? I mean, it'd be ridiculous. Jesus didn't mock them and insult them with the intent of revenge. He didn't threaten them. So in the same way, it should be ridiculous for those who follow him. That when we are insulted, that we would not insult in return. That when we are mocked, we wouldn't mock in return. When we are gossiped about, that we wouldn't gossip back in return. I've been reading from this center online called the Center for House Church Theology, where they report the news from the house churches in China. And they have been writing recently about some of the persecution in the last couple years, and they talk about beatings of church members when they're caught, up to even 70-year-old grandmas. They talk about these arrests, and the fines. Sometimes they don't arrest them, the pastors and ministry leaders. Instead, they just fine them to the point of poverty where they can't feed their families. And I was telling the story of this one husband and wife in ministry who had been given this huge fine. They couldn't pay. And as she went in to schedule the hearing, which she was required to do, she faced the people at the Bureau of Religious Affairs, and she was so angry. And she tells the story about how she was convicted as she stood there. And she realized that her job was not to retaliate, but rather to love them. And so as she talked to them, she offered to pray for them, and they said yes. And she prayed for them, and as she left, she told her fellow believers, and if she had bitterness in her heart, or if she was angry or harmed them back, but woe to her, how was she to do that? But may the Lord have mercy on her, for she was called to live the life of Christ, which she teaches us, right? What does it look like for you to love those who insult you? 
Sometimes we forget the battle that we're in, and we think those who malign us are our enemies. We begin to believe that the spiritual battle that we're fighting is actually about these people who are speaking to us, but it's not, friends. And this world where sometimes we are working to create status and build ourselves up, this isn't our world. We're exiles. Therefore, when we are beaten or mocked or insulted, we walk the way of Jesus. I was running cross-country a long time ago, and when I would, our coach would constantly critique our form. Taylor, your left foot pushes off inward when you run. Your, uh, check your right arm, Taylor. The angle's a little off. So in the same way, Peter is critiquing our form. He says, if our feet are going to walk in the spets of Jesus, we need to look like him. And it says that when we can do this because we're looking to the one who judges justly. Do you see that in the text? That's what Jesus was doing. He looked to him who judges justly, that we look forward even as we bear evil from other people to the day when the Lord will judge. He is going to make all things right one day. And the harm that people have done will either, the consequences will either fall on themselves or it will fall on another who suffered in their place. We can look to the just judge And know that we won't be condemned only because Christ isn't just our example, because he's also our redemption. Let's keep reading. We're in verse 24 now, where we're going to see that Christ is our redemption. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, for by his wounds you've been healed. If we were just people trying to do better, trying to follow Jesus as a role model, we would have no assurance that we'd be able to stand before the just judge. Because, friends, we have not done this well. And if we were people that thought that, oh, we'll just look to Christ as an example, you wouldn't be able to live this out. You can't do this in your own power. Because an example doesn't heal you from your frantic self-preservation and self-promotion. We need more than just an example. We need redemption. It says that Christ bore our sins. He took them on himself so that you and I might die to the enslaving power of sin that says, me first. I I won't do things that are hard. I will not submit. And instead that we can live to righteousness. That's what this text says that we can turn to doing what's right, that we can endure suffering for doing good. This isn't masochism where we want a beating. It's rather saying we'll obey anyway, Lord, because Jesus did. Friends, sometimes we naturally want to fight, right? When someone speaks poorly of us, especially as Christians, we're used to having power and people thinking well of us. And so we say, hey, you should respect me. But that's not what this teaches us but rather that we can walk in such a way of the, that realizing that our redemption gives us power to be disrespected even. Peter has been meditating on one of the most famous passages in the book of Isaiah. Do you see that? Do you see the quotation marks as you look down? I love that he's been meditating on the Bible and he gets all fiery about it and keeps quoting it, right? Here it is in Isaiah 53. One of these prophecies of the anointed servant who's going to come one day, Isaiah says. And he is going to judge with justice. And he's going to rule and make things right again. But this chapter in Isaiah turns things on their head. 
that this servant isn't going to come and receive his kingdom by conquering the people who are oppressing others. Instead, he's going to receive the kingdom by suffering under them. That he would be wounded and stricken and beaten to bring the kingdom. Let's look at Isaiah 53. Turn there if you have your Bible or have your phone. And we have it on the screen too. And look as I read it. We're going to read verses 4 through 7 here of Isaiah 53. But go home and read the whole thing. Trust me, it's worth it. But look for the references to suffering and the motivations for it and what is gained from it. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 7. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Do you see the exchange made? He would suffer for transgression. He would be beaten and submit to pain, bearing our sins, so that, in verse 5 it says, so that we would get peace and that we would be healed. And if you keep reading in verse 11, so we would be justified. We would be made right with God. And so Jesus did. His wounds healed us. He took on himself, on our behalf, the judgment that we deserved. It's like a parent who watches a child disobediently and rowdily jumping on the couch. And all of a sudden, in her enthusiasm, it takes a head dive towards the coffee table. And the parent throws their body in front of them, bruises themselves, and lands on the floor only to have the child laugh and land on top. Right? It is in your place, on your behalf, but something much greater than just the bruise I have on my arm from the coffee table. That there is an exchange here that changes everything in our life. That we don't have to fear because we've been redeemed. That there is a Christian life that if you just think that your Christian life is about trying to be more like Jesus, let me tell it to you right now that you can't do it and it will get you nothing. That if you think that you'll just follow in his footsteps, you cannot stand before our Lord at the end that way. What you need is forgiveness and redemption from your sins that will change you inside, bring the transformation you need to actually live like him. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, this is what you most deeply need. Forgiveness and redemption and his great exchange. Verse 24 says that Jesus' redemption bore our sins on the cross, that it's allowed our old way of life to die so that we can live a cross-shaped life this is the way it is possible to endure hardship for doing good. For by his wounds, you and I have been healed so that we no longer have to control everything in our life. Amen. We can see suffering coming and say, yes, Lord, I'll obey anyway. 
that God has given us so much grace that we also know that we have Christ's care. And that's what we see in verse 25. Because we're no longer having to protect ourselves because we have a better guardian. One that watches over you day and night. Verse 25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If we are still wondering how we could walk this road, how we could induce suffering for doing good, we would say, look, because this is the way of Christ who now is my shepherd. Peter reminds us what our life used to be like, wandering like sheep towards cliffs. But now you've returned to the shepherd, the one that is best, has the best care in mind for you. He is literally the overseer of your souls, the bishop, the one who cares for you, who hates misuse of authority and will never do that to you. You may suffer, but you will never be outside of his care and never outside of his plan. This is how we can let go of our desperate need of control, our desperate desire to fight, our desperate desire to make sure that our lives are what we think will fulfill us for forever here on earth because we know we're in the care of the shepherd. Like a custody of a child who needs a safe parent. We can obey him even if it means suffering and submission. As the band comes up, we're going to wrap up and then worship the Lord. You and I are going to face decisions sometimes where we're going to have to think, am I going to say no to this because the path looks too hard or because submission feels too inconvenient? Or am I going to say yes because this is the way of Christ? Being a Christian doesn't mean that we can throw off all authority and live rebellious. This text teaches us clearly that rather we choose to be part of society. We choose to submit when it's the right thing to do. Because our Savior suffered under his faithfulness. His submission to his Father, his submission to evil earthly rulers meant that we have life. So this week, in your business, in your workplace, will you choose to submit with your mind on God? This week, when you encounter a decision, when you recognize in the fork in the road that if you do what's right, it's going to be harder, will you say yes? And this week, will you remember that because of what Christ has done, you are fully his, and that you can live a cross-shaped life as well? This is how we put our feet in his footprints and we walk towards the way of life. Father, we are so thankful for your word that reminds us what Christ has done. That we don't have the ability to walk towards this this life of doing right even when suffering is before us without you. We need the empowerment of Jesus. We need his example and we need his care. Father, I pray that this week we would be people who live like what he has done changes everything and that those on the outside would watch us and wonder how could they live that way? How could integrity be that important to them? How could they live in such a way that they don't protect themselves at every turn and that we would have open doors to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? We worship you and say that we are so glad to be yours. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Can we stand together and worship?